Welcome to the New Books Network. To every ear that hears me, I preach Christ and Christ alone. Christ above me, Christ within me, Christ on his golden throne. And by the strength of heaven, I will love and I'll forgive. And I'll belong to Jesus for as long as I shall live. Ned Bustard is the author of a new children's book about St. Patrick. I interviewed him on Mardi Gras, February 21st. The next day was Ash Wednesday, and Pope Francis's remarks to the general audience included the reminder that, and I quote, the gospel is not an idea. The gospel is not an ideology. The gospel is a proclamation that touches your heart and makes you change your heart, unquote. That's exactly what St. Patrick showed by returning to pagan Ireland, where he'd done six years as a slave. He returned to proclaim the good news and to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Today, there are five million people in Ireland. Three quarters of them are practicing Catholics, and 15 times that number across the entire world. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics, about religion and history and culture. I'm your host, Chris Adinius, and I get to ask interesting people who have thought about the big questions to share their conclusions to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this format in relationship and dialogue and back and forth may help us approach the truth and have a really good time doing it. Should you want to take the conversation a step further, I invite you to please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Today, I'm talking with Ned Bustard, graphic designer, illustrator, printmaker, and author. He is creative director of Square Halo Books and curator of the Square Halo Gallery. He launched the IntraVarsity Press IVP Kids imprint in 2021 with St. Nicholas the Gift Giver. IVP Kids now has eight books, including St. Patrick the Forgiver, the book we're about to talk about today, and four more on the way. I bet these are very popular. I bet it's exactly the sort of thing I'd like to send my godchildren for their birthdays or for Christmas. And uh, it's a pleasure It's a pleasure to talk with you today. Hi, Ned. Hi there. I'm glad to be on here. I feel like this is the perfect podcast for this book because I think of all people who would be almost good Catholics, St. Patrick really fits the bill. Amen. Amen. And we are talking on February 21st, which is the official release day of your book. So it is now available. And um, I'm going to publish this episode on Thursday, the 16th of March, which will be the day before St. Patrick's Day. So hopefully everybody who is listening to it as, as we go, as they can hear it on their devices, they're like, ah, oh, that's tomorrow. So um it's a it's a it's a real pleasure to talk with you on it's also Mardi Gras, <laughs> so happy Mardi Gras! It's all of that. It's amazing. Yeah. So um, I got a joke for you. And there Already, are, there are three brothers, uh, Irishmen of the diaspora, and they had left Ireland to seek their fortunes. And one settled in London, and one went to New York or maybe Boston, and and the third yeah. the third brother went to Sydney. And they didn't see each other for a long time because they were scattered all over the world. But every every uh, Saturday, they would go to their local Irish pub, wherever they were, and they would drink three pints of Guinness, one for each of them. So they could sort of share this drink in absentia. Uh, and then one day, you know, and the bar the barman knew this tradition. And so the barman always brings up three pints of Guinness. And, the, you know, the brother, let's say he's in Boston. And and then one day he says, no, no, I'll just have two pints this this saturday and the barman says oh i'm so sorry uh what what happened and the fellow says oh no no they're they're fine everything's fine it's that i gave up 
um, beer for Lent, but they haven't. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Um, So I I also also give up um, alcohol for Lent, and I was saying this to an Irish friend of mine, and he was saying, oh, yeah, we we also give up uh, alcohol on Lent. We only drink wine and beer for forty days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any Lenten practices uh, you're about to start? Uh, well, we uh, in this Ash Wednesday, the you know, imposition of the ashes and, at our church. And um, as far as giving up things, I I've I've done that a couple times over the years, uh, but I just usually have a poor uh, poor attention span and I have a hard time keeping focus on that yeah and now your listeners know what a weak willed person i am there we go good catholic yeah Uh, well um, exactly (laughs) yeah i think about it (laughs) i want to do it but i don't so that makes me an almost good catholic well tell us about yourself tell us a bit about your life how you became an author and an illustrator oh that's um i have no idea how i became that's one of those things that people uh, will come up to me and they'll say, "So I want to be an illustrator. I want to. I want to do kids' books or whatever. What advice you can, you know, can you give me?" And I'm usually like, I, "I have no idea. I can't give you any advice. It was all just a miracle in my life." Um, the way you said the uh, introduced me as uh, launching IVP Kids. That was purely a miracle. Um, mm. Should never have happened. Uh, it sounds rather grandiose when you say it that way, though. I launched. I launched IVP Kids, but it, it was uh, basically I, I had done I had done a couple kids books um, uh, several years ago. Uh, Stephen Nichols, who's the uh, he's the head of the uh, college Reformation Bible College down in Florida, and uh, brilliant guy. He uh, got me involved, and we did a, a couple books for Crossway, Church History ABCs. Um, the Reformation ABCs and the Bible History ABCs, and that was great, and I love that. Uh, but then a, a couple of years ago, I came across a poem by Lucy Shaw. My wife is a huge fan of Lucy Shaw's poetry, as everyone should be. And uh, we were reading it, and it sounded like to me this is a kids' book. So I do something I recommend no one ever does. I illustrated the whole book pro bono, not knowing what would happen. Sent it off to her. And she said, this is lovely. May I share it with people? I was like, well, of course, because I I would, <laughs> I would ideally like this to go to print. Mm-hmm. And uh, she sent it to some friends uh, she had worked with at University Press and uh, said, isn't this lovely? What should I do with it? And this was during COVID. And she got an email back saying, we've got the secret thing we're doing. We're doing IVP Kids. No one knows about it. And would it be okay if we use this book? And so... Uh, she Lucy got back in touch with me and said, "Would that be okay?" I said, "Of course, it would be okay. I would love for this book to to come to uh, come out and and be on this this new press." And then, as I was working with IVP, I pitched them the Saint Nicholas, the Gift Giver book. It was a, a book I had started over twenty years ago to uh, basically help my kids enjoy the magic of of Saint Nicholas and Santa Claus and such but still keep a Christ-centered focus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of tricky when you're looking for books that way. So it's something I'd worked on for a while. And I said, well, uh, I'll give it a go. And and they were really excited about that. And they s- decided to make it their first book. So I think, you know, like I said, I've, I had the Crossway books. I've done a lot of work 
with a, a great company called Veritas Press. They do homeschool materials, and I did uh, kids' books for them over the years. But that's such a, a niche market um, that I kind of don't consider those real books. I mean, they are. They have ISBN numbers, and, and they're, they're proper books. But mm-hmm. uh, in my mind, it was the Crossway book. And then then these, these books, uh, the IVP book is really um, kind of changing – now I feel I feel like I can actually say yes I'm an illustrator and you know kids book illustrator because I these uh, are coming out in rapid succession and and um, yeah they seem like uh, real books I mean the Crossway book was a real book but I don't know there's something about the way I work um, just by myself in my studio my third floor I I'm very disconnected in my mind from the work I make and the things actually existing. Uh, there's a, another couple books that I've been involved with called Every Moment Holy. It's a collection of contemporary liturgies. And mm-hmm. I designed and illustrated those. And they've done wonderful. There's like, I think over 200,000 copies that you know, have been purchased. Oh, but in my head, they, don't, they aren't real. Like, I, I don't know what to say. Like, I see them. But, uh, but you know, over the, over the last couple of years, people have come up to me and said, oh, I love that book. And it's always caught me off guard because I think – for some reason, I don't connect the fact that people are actually buying the books with me making them. I just kind of think that I make them, I send them to the printer, and then I move on to the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a, a good children's book really is a feat of homiletics, too, because you take very, mm-hmm. very important and very deep ideas, but you make them accessible to a little kid who's going to pick it up and say, oh, this is just an attractive book. And so um, your book is... Uh, you know, an eight-year-old could easily read it. Maybe a six-year-old could read it. And uh, yeah. it's got, um, it's all in, in in rhyme. And it's got these very beautiful illustrations that look to me like um, woodblock prints, like old, like right, old style right. woodblock prints from the, say, the 16th century. How how do you illustrate them? Yeah, the, those are, um, technically they're called linocuts uh, because I, I use linoleum oh. instead of wood. Uh, but for all sake and purposes, it's, it's the same thing. It's the same approach, um, that you carve out the parts that you want white and then you ink it up, you put paper on it, you pull the ink, the paper off and you've got this, this print, whatever you haven't cut is now transferred to the paper. How long does it take to make one picture? Oh, that's a depressing question that I refuse (laughs) to answer, uh, only because it takes me so long to do, um, I could do do the drawings by hand, but I find that the actual woodcut. <laughs> you just have me saying woodcut. It's yeah, not yeah. a woodcut. It's a linocut. Uh-huh. The uh, block print, uh, the method that I do, it's it's. Uh, I always laugh. People say, "Oh, I did that in seventh grade." I say, "Yes, you did it in seventh grade. That's true. It's a very simple process, but it, it gives you a different feel than if you do something by hand, even if it is drawn uh, out. So I love kind of the magic that happens through this method. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll make the print that as far as, you know, I'll draw it, I'll have to copy it to the block, carve it, uh, then pull the print carving these there. The actual illustrations for this book are about six inches square. And I think that probably takes me two to four hours to carve. Uh, so that doesn't include, you know, the prep time and then the printing time is different. Then it dries and I scan it in, I clean it up a little bit uh, in Photoshop, and then I have to add color um, 
So all the the process it, it does end up taking a while, and that's why I've just I'm just in denial about it, and mm-hmm. I don't I don't uh, I try not to think about how long it actually takes me. Is it the sort of thing where you get lost in the flow, and it's just a pleasure to do that kind of art, and you blink and time you know the day has passed, or is it kind of an arduous uh, labor? Yes, yes, to all of that. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard work. Like I get blisters and my hand cramps up doing it. I do lose track of time as well. I must like it because I keep coming back to it as a method of of making art. Uh, the Lucy Shaw book I mentioned earlier is all cut paper, a whole lot easier to do, hmm. lots of fun. Um, but there's something about printmaking that has just grabbed my imagination, and I find I'm I'm a printmaking junkie. Like I can't not do it. Uh, I do it for fun. I do it for you know, these illustration projects. Um, I often just come up with new ideas. I have a, a whole list of ideas coming, you know, of things that I want to uh, uh, depict through through this this method of illustration. Wonderful. And um, um, the text, the poem that you write, uh, is at once very accessible to the kid, but also gets at uh, some of the deeper theology of St. Patrick's life. And if you got the book next to you, I was hoping you might read the first oh, sure. uh, page and also the last page, because that'll really give our listener, listeners a feel for, you know, how a kid can get right into it. And also as you leave us, like how Christ-centric your 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 work truly is. Yeah, the, um, the, uh, the first book with IVP is uh, St. Nicholas, the gift giver. And I built that whole, uh, structure on, uh, uh, the twas the night before Christmas, uh, and all mm-hmm. through house, blah, blah, blah. So that was, that was what I had when I pitched the idea of doing this book to, uh, IVP. Actually, they, they suggested it to me. I was like, Oh yes, I would love to do St. Patrick. I love this idea. I wrote it all out and they said, Oh, that's nice. Can you make it rhyme? And I was like, well, I could, but that's a whole lot harder. Yeah. And they're like, well, we really like the rhyming. So um, uh, I have a friend who he and I uh, both of Irish derivation, and we've worked on writing hymns and songs together. And uh, we both love Celtic music. And so he, he and I sat down and he said, okay, let's, let's put this in the form of a jig. So mm. we worked out. Uh, the rhyming pattern, and uh, here you go. This is the first page, uh, the beginning and end of the story. If people want to know the rest of the story, they'll have to buy the book. Quite right. So, hello, my name is Patrick. You may have heard my story. I walked the span of Ireland to tell of God's great glory, and with a wee green shamrock, I shared of the three in one: our God, the Blessed Mystery, Father, Spirit, and the Son. To every ear that hears me, I preach Christ and Christ alone. Christ above me, Christ within me, Christ on his golden throne. And by the strength of heaven, I will love and I'll forgive. And I'll belong to Jesus for as long as I shall live. That's that's beautiful. And um, the whole, the Christ above me, Christ before me, Christ to my left, Christ to my right, Christ as I lay my head down to sleep, all, all of that. I, I Is that in um, Patrick's confession? or That's from, uh, uh, it's called Patrick's Breastplate. And it's a uh, hymn, famous hymn that was written after Patrick had died, long since died, but uh, we associate him, it with Patrick. And that was one of those things. A lot of the, what I do, I mean, you were talking about how long it takes me to do the illustrations. I, I work a lot of Easter eggs into the illustrations 
And the same way with the story, there are things that I put in there just because they amuse me. Mm. And um, I really wanted to get the Christ above me, Christ you know, below me thing from uh, St. Patrick's breastplate in there. And I was really glad I was able to do that because I think it it roots it in um, in just kind of our collective understand, collective unconscious about what, what, what it means to be Irish. And mm-hmm. that hymn itself, you know, I highly recommend folks uh, reading it. And singing, the people have set it to music, but it's a really rich, rich um, piece of poetry in glory to God. Yeah, and the breastplate makes a lot of sense because with that kind of uh, outlook, you can be fearless in a in a in any situation. Uh, exactly. Yes. So why don't you tell us who is Saint Patrick? Tell us the grown-up version of his life. Oh, I'd be glad to. That one of the things that's really great about Patrick is we have in his uh, confession kind of a, an outline of what his life was like. He was born in 385, uh, but not in Ireland. He was born in England. Uh, at that time, it was called Britannia. It was a province of Rome. And he was uh, the son of a deacon in uh, the town that he w- was living in. And his uh, grandfather was uh, a minister there. So he he came from uh, uh, a... Uh, Christian family. Uh, I think that they think he had money because of, of uh, like it seems that his father was probably some sort of like councilman in the town, but uh, he didn't really have any interest in uh, following God at all. At some point in his mid, maybe 15, 16 years old, uh, raiders came in, uh, probably Vikings, uh, came in and stole him and a bunch of people away. He was sold into slavery in Ireland and uh, was made to take care of sheep. And it, it was while he was doing that, that the Holy Spirit really work, did a work on his life. And he uh, he came to know Christ and just sitting on the hillside praying, uh, his life became one of very intense prayer. Uh, he talks about praying in the night and during the day, standing in the rain. Uh, I mean, he had a job to do, so he was doing it all that uh, at the same time. And then he uh, received a vision that uh, the Lord said to him that he was going to be go back to his homeland, that he should start walking. And so he, I think he walked about 100 or 200 miles from where he was to uh, Port Town, found a, a ship to take him over. It was the, that whole episode is kind of weird. Uh, if you read his confession, but he, uh, eventually gets on the boat, they take him over. Uh, it's a boat that's being, uh, transporting. They believe that it was transporting Irish wolfhounds to, uh, sell on the mainland. And, and you'll see folks who get my book. I, I worked in some Irish wolfhounds in the illustration, not that I reference it in any all, but, uh, in the story, but it's, it's there if you know. And, um, they shipwrecked. Uh, they wandered around for a long time. He, uh, uh, they eventually got home. Oh, well, they, they found some, some wild pigs. I, I also reference that visually in the story. Uh, but eventually he gets home, uh, is reunited with his family. And, and, the, and the, the, the pigs too, isn't that an instance of him praying for food? They're like, they oh, were, yes, they, yes, exactly. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. That he, He's, uh, you know, claiming Christ and the people who, who he's with, they say, well, 
you know, if, if this is real, you need to to show us. And so he prays and God provides this, this uh, pack of wild pigs. And so they, they eat the pigs. And that's why they think that um, uh, they were selling the dogs on the mainland because they didn't eat the dogs. They, you know, they kept the dogs alive. So, so he got home, um, was reunited with his family, receives a vision of someone from Ireland telling him, please come back. Uh, we need you to um, join us again and, and, and walk among us. And uh, so he says that as a calling from God and he um, uh, studies with uh, some a monastery. I'm not sure where. Some people think it was in, in France. Some people think it was in England. Uh, and then he, he goes back as a missionary to Ireland and um, uh, lands in the north, Northern Ireland. Uh, there's a, a church there, Saul's Church, which is um, what they believe was his first church. He was given a, a barn by the high king's, I think, little brother. And um, that was his first church on the property. And that was uh, where he began his ministry. And he, he continued um, until the end there. Uh, his, the legends say that he went to, uh, went to, to Rome and such, but I, I think that's probably uh, wishful thinking. Yeah, and it's, uh, he has to win over all kinds of people, right? Not only the king, but uh, he's, he, he receives a lot of resistance as one would. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, you're right. The, the, um, the Irish, obviously, are, they're not Christian at all. Now, he's, uh, they believe he was reaching out and, and ministering initially to uh, folks like him, Christian slaves, so uh, reaching out to them, but he's working uh, in a very, very antagonistic society. Like he is working in a place there. The, the island is full of idol worship, um, uh, magicians, uh, and, and it was certainly not, yeah, certainly not a good place for um, a, a young Christian guy to go yeah. and think that he's going to, to go through unscathed that he, he had, According to some of the legends, he had uh, battles with druids. Um, but regardless of of how fanciful you know the stories get at times, it was clear that he's he's working an uphill battle there, and and he's going uh, just walking town to town uh, with the gospel and trying to to reach the the lost Irish. Yeah, and it makes sense that he would have most appeal to people at the bottom of the social ladder there because right. they, they have little going for them. And so they're probably the first to try something new. I think that happens to missionaries all, all the time. There's somebody who's at the bottom of the existing social structure. They'll say like, well, here's something that makes us all equal. Well, well, I'll, I'll do that. And right, right. how Christianity becomes a, goes from a re religion of outsiders to, um, you know, su take such strong roots in Ireland is, is quite a miracle too. Yeah. And it's the, uh, he certainly had a, uh, he was bold. Uh, you know, we talked about the breastplate earlier uh, he, he was not ashamed of the gospel and he was preaching to anyone who'd listen, whether it is a, a poor slave or, uh, he talks about how he would preach to, um, the, uh, affluent rich classes there. And, um, and, you know, there's stories of him even speaking to the King. And one of the the things that, you know, there's shamrocks all through this book and uh, uh, it's part of the legends, but they, they say that he, he uh, shared with the high king of Ireland 
that God was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and used a shamrock as a visual aid. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I talk about that with my my own kids because I remember I was volunteering some years ago when they were very little in preschool, and we had a St. Patrick's book, and it was terrible. <laughs> it didn't say, you oh, know, because yeah. it was, you know, it, it's the 21st century. It was very secular, and it and it was all about rainbows and leprechauns. And then, like it said, <laughs> and St. Patrick liked to talk about um, shamrocks, the end, right? And it never, <laughs> it never got to like, what is this about in the first place? Which it's your book tells you what this is about from beginning to end. Uh, right, right. Uh, yeah, that was yeah, just recently I was, I was going, you know, they have all, all the displays up now for, for St. Patrick's Day. And so I was flipping through some of the books and it, I was struck because my book is so historically based and so uh, gospel oriented at how how uh, secular and how opposite or antagonistic to the actual history and work of Patrick uh, all the books are. I mean, I think the only book that I would recommend to anyone is the Tommy DePolo book. Um, mm. But there's, yeah, it's it's a it's a wasteland of of shamrocks and leprechauns. Besides <laughs> that, yeah, um, and I think one thing you do very skillfully is you say, and there's even a story about him chasing out the snakes where you don't claim that that happened because um, I think most people take that as a, as a metaphor. Um, yeah. They believe that that was him getting rid of, of um, you know, demons or, or uh, um, druidic practices and, and such. Yeah. The, the, the story goes that he was on a mountain fasting for 40 days and then uh, he's attacked by, by uh, demons in the form of serpents and, and he casts them off the mountain yeah, and yeah. Uh, if there ever were actual snakes, it, it was before the last ice age, so it would have been there would have been no no memory of it. But it works well, especially given what we have of snakes in the Bible. That uh, this is oh a, yeah, poetically this is a great great story. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, they they they've done studies. There, there there is no archaeological proof that there were ever snakes in Ireland. Yeah, and you also mentioned a giant, which I couldn't. I've I read what we have of Patrick, which is two two works: the confession, the confessio, and then a letter he wrote to the soldiers of um, Corinthus. And they were both very short, and I was able to read them, you know, in a couple hours. Um, so there's very little we have, but I never I never found the giant. What what what's the giant? Yeah, that that's a, a kind of a mashup I did. Um, there's um, a book of well, you can actually look online. The uh, Life and Acts of St. Patrick, and uh, I forget the guy who, who is credited, but he, uh, he's he got all these little short short stories. They're all uh, little episodes in the life of Patrick. And I came across this one that it talked about uh, Patrick coming across uh, a large um, tomb. Stones have been set up, uh, and local folks said, well, this is where a, uh, a giant is buried and um it turns out it was a giant who was caught by i think finn mccool who's a whole nother um character in irish lore uh but he in the story he raises him from the dead turns out he's a uh uh keeper of, of pigs for the high king whenever he was you know when he lived he when he when he when he meets patrick he says uh I, I want to follow Christ. I um, I guess I've been in hell and I don't like it there. Mm. And uh, so 
Patrick baptizes him, and then I think he dies. So it's a very odd story. Um, but I liked the aspect of um, I wanted to bring in another one of the legends from Patrick's uh, the stories around Patrick. And I've gone to Ireland. I've been to the Giants Causeway twice. And so I wanted to bring, uh, for those who can pick up on it, there are these things throughout the book that I've included that are very Ireland and very Irish and, and very much of that place. So the idea of this giant being under stones, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if Finn McCool had put him under these stones and the stones are the, the giant's causeway. Uh-huh. So it's it's me taking legends and and spinning it. And now I've confessed this. So anyone who's listening, I, I now hunt you down and kill you because we can't let anyone know that I've I've added to to the mythos around Patrick. But that's that's the that's where the giant comes from. I just I really liked I knew that there is the Giants Causeway. If you've been to the Giants Causeway, you'll see that I've illustrated it in the story and I just thought it was a lot of fun to think that there actually is a, a real giant under there Absolutely. and who has been baptized and uh, and loves Jesus <laughs> in glory. Yeah. And uh, speaking of hunting people down and killing them, you uh, call this book St. Patrick. Oh, you can edit that out right now. We, no. we, I, we want people to think that I'm a nice person that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, we'll we'll try to fool them. But speaking of that, you your title is not St. Patrick, but St. Patrick the Forgiver. Uh, why the yeah. emphasis on forgiveness? What's the what's the lesson? What's um, what's the purpose? Well, I think one of the things that I thought was really uh, great about when when we did the St. Nicholas, the gift giver, uh, that that had been an idea that I'd worked into that original story, and. Um, IVP really liked that. They liked the idea that it was more than just uh, here's Santa Claus and isn't that fun, uh, but that there was this uh, aspect to the book that was a little richer, a little deeper, and uh, and like I said, I you know I'm I'm hiding all these things in in the illustrations and the story to have this thing running through the story that. Uh, children and, and adults when they're reading it can can lock in on and read and appreciate really appealed to me that we'd have have a way to to make it more more than mm-hmm. um, with so we had gift give the gift giver the giving of gifts in in that one thinking through uh, when we st- I was talking to my editor about this book we've just started kicking around this idea and the idea of, of forgiveness just just kind of popped out and we were talking about it and she said, oh, that's great. So when I went to write the story, I really focused on that and realized that, that that's kind of a radical aspect of who Patrick is. He, he forgives people. <laughs> you know, and you look mm-hmm. at his life, you think, well, here's a guy. He was, in it, as a teenager, he's stolen away from home. He's made to work in horrible conditions and then he escapes, but then he comes back. And he wants to serve these people who were his, you know, his, his masters. As he was a slave, and they were the masters. And he comes back, he forgives them, and beyond that, he gives them uh, the gospel. And and uh, I even have the, in one of the illustrations where he's he's studying with the monast at the monastery. I have the one uh, brother holding up a book that's you know supposed to be a Bible, and it uh-huh. has seventy times seven. Yes. And, that, yeah, it's it's one of those things that you know you you may see it, you may not, 
but it's in there and it's this I, bringing us back to Christ's call for forgiveness. Yeah. And that's, for me, that's what's exciting about this book. You know, the legends and the stories are fun. The Giants Causeway and, and all those things are great. But it, it's this aspect of bringing us back. And I think this is something that Patrick would have wanted. You know, yeah, okay, you wrote a book about me, but let's let's talk about forgiveness. Let's talk about the grace of God and how that can change our lives. Do you think that's especially important for children because they are – you know, children are so interested in justice, and they're like, "Well, you, you got your cookies bigger than mine, or it's my turn oh, to do yeah. this, or your turn to do this." And I think way more than adults, they they really they're very sensitive to that at, at this age. Um, everything has has rules to it. Do you think that's uh, that's a, a particularly good lesson for kids more than adults, or not necessarily? Oh, I I, I hadn't thought of it because my kids are all in their mid twenties now. But when you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, everything's about justice, and and that, that his his cookie's bigger than my cookie, and and you know it goes on and on from there. So I, yeah, I think in in many ways, this book is is more important than the Saint pa- Saint Nicholas book. Though of course, I want everyone to buy both. But <laughs> I, it, it is it is an it is such a radical idea that that we can giving gifts is something that you know we're culturally uh, encouraged to do, and and there's 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 a you know satisfaction that we give get when we give gifts but forgiveness is just hard work and it it's uh it's something that we really need to rely on on Christ to do in our lives so um like i said i hadn't thought about that but now that you say it in that way i can see i can see how this book would be even more significant in in the life of a young kid yeah and i i really l- noticed that in that illustration you're 70 times 7 because kids no, 70 times 7. They do math problems that look like that. And some kid listening to the story might might ask a question about the picture and you could talk about the the, the whole gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that, that, the, that the folks will, um, you know, when parents are, are reading this book to them, that they, they will stop and ask questions about the illustrations because I do put a lot of uh, symbolism and, you know, just little extras in there. Like I said earlier, there's there's these dogs and these these wild pigs. Uh, I think at some point you have to ask why are they there, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping that people will go deeper. And certainly the 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 priest holding holding up a Bible that says seventy times seven, that's gotta that's gotta spark something, you know, because it's just not it doesn't fit. It seems anachronistic until you dig deeper. Right, and uh, sometimes these metaphors transcend the factual, you know, that they become even mm-hmm, more true. Mm-hmm. I noticed that yeah. those two priests that he's with, like one of them's uh, black and one of them's Asian, right? So it's the, yeah. the real universality of uh, of the Catholic Church, which that's how I think kids would understand it now. Oh, you know, God's children have every color and, and so on. Whereas back then, you know, I'm a Roman citizen and these are some barbarians on this island that literally the end of the world and they're far beneath us. But here you are right. in your life to to bring the gospel to the this barbaric druidic uh, island. Yeah, that was one of those things. I, I, it's, I thought of it as, as kind of subtle, but I wanted to have uh, those different uh, representations in there to to say he was coming back to the church, and the church was a very Eastern thing. You know, at that time there wasn't a Western church. The church was Rome and Turkey, and you know, in the Middle East, and it went that way. And I wanted, I wanted to, to communicate this idea that Patrick was being discipled by the church and the church is universal 
and yeah. that that he was part of a bigger thing than just um, uh, his work on Ireland. Right, and the great cities of that time would have been Constantinople and Jerusalem, and oh, absolutely, yeah, Far East and you know North Africa and West Asia and all, all that. So, um, so how do we practice this lesson in our daily lives uh, of forgiveness, and how do we tell our children about it? I'm I'm thinking of your every moment holy and the liturgy of daily things, which mm-hmm. for me reminds me of you know Saint Teresa of Lisieux and the Little Way. Um, how what would you teach kids about forgiveness? Uh, well, one of the things I thought with this book and just just talking about it, I think that that we have a a uh, inclination in these situations, certainly as parents, to make everything an object lesson. And um, uh, you know, growing up, you you would hear the story of uh, David with Goliath, and and the takeaway would be, be like David, be strong, or or you hear about Daniel and the you know in the lions that be like Daniel, stand up and and do these things i think um with this book i would want folks to to think and reflect on the fact that forgiveness is 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 an act of desperation and hanging on to christ and that christ is the conduit of the this work of forgiveness in our lives um and and to orient our minds to that and talk about that that it it is a work of it is a is a divine work and that we need to look to this, see the importance of forgiveness, see that it's central to who to our relationship with um, with God and with each other, and and just cry out, cry out in desperation for that. Uh, I think that one of the things that's helpful, you know, as you're thinking, oh, I'm going to read this to a little child, is that it it brings it down in size, and you realize that forgiveness is little acts of um, love and, and mercy and grace rather than, than these huge things. Uh, you know, you look at, um, I don't know, like that great movie, the mission mm-hmm. the, 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 was it uh, Robert De Niro was carrying this huge stack of, 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 uh, of armor on his back, you know, and, and they talk about this, you know, he's has to work through and, and feels forgiveness. I think that that is the exact opposite of what our Christian practice and life should be an orientation. Like we need to look to God for little, little acts of forgiveness, little acts of mercy, little, little opportunities for us to give these, these hurts and the injuries over to Christ and say, please heal me of this. Excellent. Uh, Um, yeah, that, that's a great example. And uh, I actually just recorded a talk about the mission, which will be an episode that, is, that will come out a, a little after this one. So, Oh, wow. I love yeah. that movie. It's so good. I love and the it. soundtrack is so fantastic as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. Um, one thing I noticed is you refer to um, The Way with a capital W in here, which is something I've seen in the, you know, before it was called Christianity, it was called The Way. Um, and if in that first century, yes, um, which you which you picked up on, um, and do you want to? Well, say yeah, that, that's coming coming out of my love for church history. Really, my yeah. wife and I are, are just history nuts. So um, I, I love I love to be able to to talk about it that way, <laughs> talk about the way that yeah. so that um, you know that there's a, a bigger story. Yeah, abs- yeah, definitely. Um, I. I was once flipping through a, a, a Chinese Bible that was um, in 
ha- I was in a church and there was the English one. And because of the congregation, they also had the, the Bible in Chinese. And so I was using my cell phone to, to, to you know, look at it a little bit. And that word, the way is, you know, the same word as Tao. And uh, so that that is how, um, you know, I don't know how many Chinese Christians there are, but tens of millions of them. Uh, that's how they still talk about, you know. Um, yeah. Or, yeah. Followers uh, of the way. Followers of the way. Um, um, other other important parallels, I, you know, sh- being a shepherd like King David, you mentioned David and Goliath. There's something about, you know, you can pray or compose psalms if you're David while you're hanging out with these animals. That's a lowly yeah. task. That's, you know, that's not the task you give to the oldest son. It's the task you give to the youngest son or the servant or the slave you bought. Uh, and and yet we sort of think of it as this idyllic pastoral, lovely thing. You know, we we always think of uh, Jesus as the shepherd. Um, what what do you think about? What do you think about? Well, that yeah, I mean that that is uh, it is kind of hilarious when you start thinking through what yeah you know, being a shepherd is versus our our ideas of shepherds. I that was one of the things that was fun for me as I was writing and rewriting the story is that motif of, of the shepherd came out. And I realized, uh, and this, is, I think, for me, is the fun of, of writing. And uh, even illustration, too, there's a, a matter of discovery that I wrote the story, and then I'm rewriting the story, and I realized there's these motifs and these themes that I can bring out that I hadn't planned. But the aspect of being a shepherd is all the way through this book. And I... I wrote it, and then I went back, and as I was doing the illustrations, I th- I thought, oh, I need to put sheep all the way through this, <laughs> you know, to to reference this idea of that we are the shepherd. You know, he is the, the Christ is the good shepherd. Uh, that Patrick is standing in for Christ, and he is drawing all these sheep to himself. And then I think about you know when I was in Ireland, you know, you see sheep all over the hillside and all that, and uh, it's just a neat thing for me to say, oh. This is, this, again, this is a theme. This is a, there's forgiveness, but there's also this aspect of being being a sheep that, and that the work of Patrick was to shepherd and that he was taking these lost sheep. And, you know, and then you get the parable of Christ and there's all these great layers to this that for me is fun because at least the way I read this book, it becomes less of a, um, a simple story. And you can really start reflecting on uh, the the beauty of the Christian faith and and the beauty of the Christian language, the Christian story, as we bring in these these different elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that a child can understand that intuitively. More difficult would be the Shamrock and the Trinity. How would you? Uh... You know, imagine an, an eight-year-old sitting at your feet, looking up, puzzled. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. What are you talking about Ned. <laughs> and and you know, as you're talking to that child, you say, "Yes, I don't understand it either." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that it is a. Uh, I love the the Trinity um, and thinking through the paradox paradoxical nature of of that from our perspective. Um, one of the, I'm a big Doctor Who fan, and I love the whole aspect of time travel because it it doesn't make sense when you start thinking about it. But then you think, wait, God is outside of time, and all of a sudden, these things start 
start playing out. There's um, uh, throughout the book, I have uh, another visual motif talking about the trinities. I have a triquetra, which is that symbol that is, it looks like a triangle, but it's actually kind of uh, an interwoven um, ribbon. And you see it in, in a lot of art. And I, I work that throughout this whole story that when he is talking about uh, Christianity to people, like when he talks to the, the high king's brother, he there's a, um, a triquetra there. And when the Holy Spirit comes down while he's in uh, shepherding as a young boy, the Holy Spirit brings a triquetra to him. So that, and it's, I, I have it all the way through. Uh, as a way of saying, oh, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and uh, the Blessed Three and, and the Three in One. And and I thought it would be great to have that throughout this because then it becomes not so much shamrocks because it probably that probably wasn't a, a thing that, that Patrick did, but he did talk about this this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this... Uh, this God that we were serving. And I, I liked uh, being able to visually represent that throughout the book. And I'm hoping that um, I'm hoping that that will help. Cause I think the help helps help teach the children. Cause I don't know, teach uh, all of us. This is, this is an idea that's beyond all of us, but the fact that it's this three pointed triangular shape, but there's actually three, three parts, but one, I think that visually, it works even better than the shamrock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm hoping that that will be uh, a useful aid for people. Yeah. And it's very Celtic in the way it looks kind of like a knot. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That was one of the things that I really enjoyed was squeezing in all the Celtic knot work through this because it's something I, I really love uh, as, as an artist. Mm -hmm. No. And it's also when evangelization is done well is when you take um, symbolism and styles that are already indigenous to the place and work them into a, a better meaning. It doesn't have to be, oh, we're going to reject all these old styles and we're going to make everything Roman now. It's like, right, right. It's yeah. like, it won't. It takes better root when it's uh, when it's more of a conversation. Yeah, um, well, and we are we are incarnated people, and we were born in a place and a time, and that's by God's doing. And and I think that there are things that we can, you know, well, every corner of of reality is 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 God. So we we need to take all these things back and and bring them in into the kingdom as, as ways to bring glory to God. I think I would add that I, I got, you know, from those six years as a shepherd, and then he withdraws here and there, you know, to a mountain or to an island. He, he really takes time to pray, which is so hard for us uh, in digital, digi- digital time. And I, I think uh, he must have really heard the voice of God because he made time to be quiet um, and, and listen. That, that is something that really struck me as I was studying his life to prepare for this book is that prayer was just central to his mm-hmm. experience. And, and you're right. It's, it's something that we tack on um, at the end of our life. You know, we pray for our, our lunch and dinner and, and uh, precious little beyond that. So I think that that is something that I hope uh, people will be inspired by because it is, it's, well, it's, it was central to Christ's ministry, and it was central to Patrick's ministry, and it should be, it should be central to our lives. Yeah, I, I think it's very well said. Okay, would you like to uh, close with a blessing or a prayer for our listeners and their families in our world? Yeah, I think I'd like to rework just uh, St. Patrick's 
breastplate and uh, that I bring here in the book and bring it to us. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that those who are listening would see that you are Christ and Christ alone and that they would live lives submitting to that, glorifying you on your golden throne, and that by the strength of heaven, they would love and forgive for your glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you, and hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Chris Odinitz and Ned Buster recorded this conversation on February 21st, 2023. Mardi Gras, literally Fat Tuesday, and Carnival, literally farewell to meet, a day of celebration and revelry before the holy season of Lent, a time of prayer and fasting and alms. You might notice that I'm publishing this episode a little out of order, a little ahead of schedule, jumping the queue before some other episodes with some really interesting conversations that I have recorded, and I hope those guests will pardon me, so that this episode will come out on Thursday, March 16th, which is the day before the Feast of St. Patrick. Our music is from Josh and Margot, of the Great Space Coaster Band, and their website is www.gscoasterband.com. And our logo is from a stained glass window in Spain. It comes from the website of the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales at www.english.op.org. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds, God, and angels sing.